We begin by acknowledging the Gabi people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast episode is being recorded today, and pay respects to their elders, past and present, and to their parents with children with disabilities. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F word, so it's not really suitable for children. Well, you probably won't hear quite so much swearing among the beans, you know. Well, yeah. <clears throat> not suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hello, peas and beans. Gary Bean here. Delighted to say that this is the second four bean mix. And they said it wouldn't last. In this episode, we spent the whole time discussing some of the great questions that you sent us. Now, not all of the questions, because we kind of ran out of time, but we will eventually get to your questions and comments, so please keep sending them in. It's really interesting to hear the things that are on your mind and to just have a conversation about them. I will let you know that one of the questions related to mental health and uh, we chatted about that from our perspective. So keep in mind, these comments are always our perspectives as beings, as dads ourselves. We don't pretend to be counsellors or experts. We're sharing uh, our stories and our perspectives. But that conversation did lead to the topic of suicide. So please remember that if anything you hear in this episode is distressing, talk about it with someone you trust. And you can always reach out at any time to Lifeline or Beyond Blue or the Men's Helpline. The phone numbers are in the show notes. Daniel, Dino and Kirk are great blokes and it's an honour to be part of the 4Bean Mix with them. So let's go with 4Bean Mix Episode 2. Well, here we are for the Four Bean Mix, and uh, thank you so much to those of you who listened to our first episode and to those who gave us some feedback and asked us some excellent questions. I have no idea you know, how we're going to answer them because uh, we do not claim to be experts in anything, but we are very happy to talk honestly about things that are going on in our lives. And look, it's wonderful to think that there might be an interest in uh, in us having conversations around topics that really matter to you. So you're going to hear a few of those questions in this episode, and we're really looking forward to to dealing with them. Fellas, let's just start out with uh, getting into this space together on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, 10 being full of energy, full of life, full of beans. Where, where are you uh, at the moment? Zero being, you know, practically hardly staying upright. Yeah, look, uh, I think, um, oh, sorry, sorry to jump in there, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I reckon I'm sitting about a seven at the moment. Um, yeah, I think things are things are pretty good. Uh, the sleep sleep's going okay at the moment, so yeah, I'll, I'd give myself a seven, seventy percent of energy at my peak. <laughs> uh, isn't sleep the magic formula? Um, right, Daniel, you were about to hop in. You're next. Yeah, I'm, I'd say I'm about a stick, um, which is pretty good for me. Um, I, uh, I, I think I put it down to having had some time yesterday to myself. I, 
I have ME, so I struggle with energy issues the best of times. Now tell and, us uh, about just, ME. What is that? Yeah, well, ME, ME-CFS, it, it's something used to be known as chronic fatigue syndrome, um, but it's basically it's a post-viral condition. So if you think of some of the things you've been hearing probably about long COVID and things like that, um, it's a bit like that before there was a COVID. So I got very ill at the end of 2015 into 2016 um, for about five or six months and then just completely crashed and have kind of had very severe energy fluctuations ever since then. So um, it means that um, just on an average day, you know, sleep is not necessarily restorative. It, uh, you wake up tired. Yeah. So, but, wow. you know, the, the key, the kind of the key to managing it is, is being able to pace yourself you know, by yourself and sort of being in tune with, with what your body's telling you. And so I had some time yesterday to do that, and I, I think I'm reaping the benefits at the moment. Fantastic. That's good to hear. Yeah. Dino? Um, well, my energy's it's been pretty good, you know, feeling probably similar to Kirk, probably seven and eight. And, um, you know, work's been quite busy, and I've sort of ticked a few good boxes and had some... Um, you know, because I work in the events industry and had a couple of big events that all were very stressful, that all went off really well. So that really put me in good stead, in good in a good place after that. So that's really helped. I mean, then I have sort of have some, you know, then I go down a little bit because, you know, Claire and I might have had a little argument and then we're kind of sorting that out and that's sort of a 24-hour period and we've kind of slightly resolved that now and now I'm sort of back up to back to uh, us sort of resolving our sort of issues again. But um, I think I'm in a relatively good space, though, which is good. That's great. We're all scoring so well, and I'm feeling good too. I'm feeling great. Things are going really well for me. So I'm, I'm probably up there with an eight or a nine at the moment. Listen, one thing we didn't do last time, and I think probably it might be useful at the start of every episode, just until people get used to what we're doing, just tell us again why you're a bean. Uh, keep it to one minute. Just why are you a bean? Why are we in this conversation together? Uh, well, I, I'm a, a bean because of my daughter, Lexi, who is 10 years old and has a quadriplegic cerebral palsy. Uh, so she's permanently in a wheelchair and has very little functionality with her hands and her legs. And, you know, she has um, very, very, uh, her fine motor skills, motor skills are pretty much very non-existent really so we are care for her in pretty much every way feed her and uh, change her and just take her everywhere so we pretty much have to do most things for Lexi um, but saying that she's a, the brightest spark in the world and is so happy and is a ball of energy which is great so Good. that's me yep <clears throat> so um yeah, like Dino, so I've got a daughter with uh, cerebral palsy as well and also um, an ASD diagnosis, uh, Willow, her name is. So she's turning eight this year. Um, she's not uh, restrained to a chair, though she does have, uh, she has been um, diagnosed with quadriplegia cerebral palsy uh, just because it does affect all limbs, but um, not severe in all limbs. It's the right side of her body, which is most affected, particularly her right her right arm and hand. Um and yeah, she's a uh, again, like Dana said, very smart, uh, very very feisty and feisty and fierce, which is great. 
Um, but definitely keeps us on our toes. <laughs> and Daniel? Uh, I'm a bean because I'm the father to Ivy, who is eight years old. And Ivy um, has a, a few overlapping conditions, but the main one is something called Mondini dysplasia, which is a, a malformation and absence of the inner ear structures. Um, and so that means the, you know, the thing that people notice, first of all, is that Ivy is profoundly deaf. Her first language is sign language. Um, she has one cochlear implant on one side that gives her some access to speech sound. But then there are other things that flow on from Mondini, like, uh, you know, it regulates your balance. So she has quite, you know, some balance difficulties, some movement difficulties, um, and then compensates for um, her sensory, you know, her deafness issues with um, sensory seeking stimulation all the time. Okay. And uh, my son, Christopher, uh, is now 26, uh, due to a birth trauma, has, uh, is quadriplegic also with cerebral palsy. He also has the complication of type 1 diabetes, which came on when he was five. Smartest person I've ever met. And uh, he and my daughter, Catherine, are the best things that have ever happened to me, with hands down, without a question. He's now living independently with support workers, um, working and uh, thriving and, you know, I was his primary carer since he was seven. I'm out of work now in that role. Uh, he told me a few years ago he wanted me to stop being his carer, and I, and I got a little bit I was a bit unsure. I said, oh, why is that, mate? If I, what's, the, what's wrong? He said, I just want you to be my dad. And uh, now with NDIS, that was possible. So we, we work together. We laugh together a lot, and that's why I'm a bean. Why don't we talk about some of the questions? Let's do that. So let me read these to you because they are really great. Thank you for sending in these comments, guys. We, we really want to hear more from, from you and uh, from the peas and the beans, from the mums and the dads and the professionals and the teachers and the uh, allied health people and, and uh, everyone who's out there who's listening. We're really keen to know that you're listening and you might have some comment or question for us. This one came from Heather Cox. Hello, Heather. Thank you so much for this. This was a comment, not a question. Heather says, I loved the episode. It was so relatable the way you spoke about the divide and conquer part of raising our kids. Asking others to care for our kids can be problematic, so we end up going out separately and rarely together as a couple. We're also trying to remember the foundations as the walls fall down sometimes. Daniel, that was you and Marnie, wasn't it? That was your... Your metaphor, the, the building with the solid foundation. Uh, loved the chat. Relate to the Napa intensives too. They are so brilliant though. Thank you, Heather. You're, you're a star. Okay, so let's do a couple of these questions because they are excellent. So the first one comes from somebody who didn't want to be named, and I, I won't tell you whether they are a he or a she uh, just because they prefer to keep that quiet. Two questions from this person. One was, and this is a simpler, straightforward question, so we'll start with this one. Uh, what is the quality of your mother that you most admire or which you have yourself? So I guess there's two parts to that. Whether or not you have that same quality, we could talk about too. But what is the quality you most admire about your mother? And I guess the follow-up is, do you have that quality too? Let's go for it, guys. Sure. Um, I'll jump in and start there. So I guess uh, the quality I'd most admire um, is the, the fierce love she has for her, her family, particularly her immediate family. Um, my mum can be uh, 
uh, what's what's the best way to word this without my mum getting angry if she hears it? But uh, <laughs> she, she she look, she's very 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 strong woman. Um, she calls a spade a spade, and sometimes it feels like that's um, can be a bit confronting, particularly for you know I'm used to it for, for some other people in particular. But um, yeah, look, I think at the end of the day, it comes from a place of just um, absolute fierce love for her family. She do she would do absolutely anyone anything for those those immediate family members, um, particularly. So, you know, I admire that that um, that strength that she's shown over the years and that side of things. Um, something I get from her is definitely for, definitely my work ethic from her. Uh, look, my my father had a really good work ethic too. Um, he was sick for. Well, with ongoing health problems, or he is, sorry, he's not dead yet. But, um, and look, I guess my mum, you know, she was the rock of the family that held a lot of it together for a lot of years. So, um, look, I, I work quite hard as well. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a workaholic, but definitely um, have a very strong work ethic because of my mum. That's great, mate. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I come, I, my, 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 background is Italian so you know both mum and dad come from the old country and you know my mum is a typical I don't know if you've ever seen that sushi mango sort of skits <laughs> with those with those portrayals of the of the Italian mamas and and dads well that is exactly what my mother is like so if if you want to know how far that falls from the tree it's not very far at all and it's, it's exactly what it's like so so she, you know, was always so, you know, mum's, you know, has always been the, the, uh, the lady of the house. You know, she's the one. You know, that stereotypical kind of, you know, motherhood of, you know, being at home and as the father went out and worked is was exactly what my kind of upbringing kind of was with that. And, um, but you know, her caring and nurturing and her non-judgmental, I think, is the biggest thing that you know that I really see. A quality in me that that I think you know is definitely something that's come you know from my mum especially and um, I've noticed it even more now because my dad passed away maybe you well, it's probably three years ago now and you know we've really there's a different dynamics at home because of the the dominance that my dad always was in the in the in the in the house and um, you know now that it's just all about mum you know you, you just see the way how much she just loves and just unfortunately trusts too many people and you know it could actually you know be the opposite in uh, these days with too many wrong phone calls coming through and uh, she probably has too much trust in people but um she just you know believes in everyone and it's just uh, such a, a beautiful humble uh, individual so i think that's kind of where i where i sort of fit in with my mum's shoes i think that's amazing i am um, just hearing you speak about that and use the word non-judgmental that was the sort of the same thing that i had written down yeah. Um, for my mum and uh, um, you know I was thinking about my mum I've been thinking about her a lot lately you know less as a mum and more as like a person like who was she as a person when I was growing up where well, I couldn't see this person and kind of reflecting on that and um, yeah so the thing I ended up admiring about her was basically that and I think I've been thinking about it in the context of like you probably all have this experience right where you come in somewhere with your with your kids who have additional needs and and you know someone else is there and, and there's a situation going on. And at least for us anyway, we usually get like one of two responses, which is either the person freezes up and just, oh, I don't know what to do. And it's like, it's really awkward and I don't know how to interact here. Yeah. Or they go the total overcompensation thing and they go, oh yeah, let me jump in and I'll do this. I'll do that. And, then, and they don't know what they're doing at all. <laughs> and, and you've got to find the sweet spot of just, of just like 
you know, having someone in a room who's just going to wait and just going to go, what are the needs here? Well, how do I have to adapt? And like kind of, you know, be open to something and to be open to be instructed and take it in good faith. And that's kind of a non-judgmental, like a, a non, you know, not judging the situation and not judging their own capabilities, but just sort of like taking pause, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And, um, yeah, I thought about that with my mum because I, I realised, like, she's, she's really good at all this stuff and she worked in aged care, so she probably got it, you know, from her interactions with clients there and um, and working with a cousin I've got who's, who's quite disabled. She's just really like the adult in my life who is just best able to go into an unfamiliar situation and go, I don't really know what's going on here, but let's what what do I need to know so that I can help and not be kind of judged one way or another, uh, and just kind of is it takes everybody just in good faith and, and and is willing to learn and and help out and I don't know do I have that quality myself I, I think I, I'd like to think so but I think probably not um, but I do think like I do get into those situations where you know where I I realize in myself I just need to take stock and pause and, and wait a second what would Mum do in this situation like how would she how would she just stop for a moment and and gather things together and sort of take this person as they are. And, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting. I felt like a real resonance with what you just said there, Dino. Mm. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> That's great. I mean, aren't we – we're fortunate indeed if we can go by the WWMD, you know, what would mum do, uh, if we've had such <laughs> such a good, you know, relationship with a mum that, that we can use her as an example. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, my my mum is a kind of a saint and um, has – she's 82. For now, she uh, she has always put others first. I think that's her the main quality I've always admired in her. She uh, will always put somebody else before her, perhaps sometimes to her own detriment. But she has always, without without any external forces at, at work, this is just coming from within her. She always values others ahead of herself, and I do think probably that has had a big, very big impact on me. Uh, including the bit about not necessarily always being healthy in that, um, and uh, so yeah, what would Mum do? And uh, that's that. Look, that was that was a really good question. I did you guys want to say more about that, or shall we move on? No, um, I think just to touch on something that that, um, that Daniel said there about you know thinking if in a situation, and then he, he would think, oh, what would Mum do in this situation? I think that's a that's such a valuable thing to have in any situation uh, to be able to stand back and look at that situation and go, well, what's the best approach here? But um, it's a lot easier to do that if you've had an example your whole life who's shown you how to do that. So I think that's just a, a, such a, a special thing to be able to, to, to realise that mm-hmm. something that your mum gave you and it's it's useful in, in every situation in life but I think particularly in our sort of situations when it comes to our children and also the, all the other things that, that go on with them, like doctor's appointments and things, that could be quite stressful. And you may be thinking, oh, I'm going to fly off the handle here. This is things being said. But you've got that that sort of inner strength that your mum's given you to be able to think, no, no, look, I'll, I'll assess the situation. How would mum handle it? And it's only going to be a better outcome. So I think that's great. Mm. Yeah, so true. I, I wonder whether we ought to expand it and find out whether we should do what dad would do. <laughs> Because, <laughs> again, you know, that's that's uh, possibly exactly the same thing for you guys. I don't know. But but on the other hand, you know, uh, I'm probably a, not a generation ahead of you, but I'm older than all you three. And, you know, uh, dads did 
did things differently when I was a little kid. You know, they, the things were diff- expected were different. And um, I think the question was about mum. We'll leave it that for now. Mm, and, but I, uh, I think I know where you're going with that. Yeah. And I probably am not too dissimilar to where I think you're going because my mum is in 85 as well. So my my parents are probably same vintage okay. as yours. So, and I know with my dad that you know, my qualities are completely different to what his were. And, you know, I probably are trying to be a, a better father than what he probably was to me in different ways. You know, there's a lot of good qualities, but there's a lot of things that I am so different and want to be completely different too. I, I tell you what, what, how about we do this? Uh, we're going to have an episode before Father's Day. So in the in the couple of days before Father's Day, we're going to do a special. If you're listening, uh, you can look out for this. We're going to have an episode about being dads for Father's Day. Maybe maybe we can address that question then. The influence our dads have had on us, how we've uh, been shaped and moulded by our dads as part of that conversation. Perhaps let's do that. Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good, so, yeah. so have a think about that. So the th- the second question from that same person is a little bit longer, but oh man, this is a good question. <laughs> Let's uh, let's go. So this person says, many women are sadly accustomed to being dismissed or diminished by our society in various settings due to long-standing entrenched patriarchy. Now, I don't think anyone in this group is going to disagree with that. Um, goes on to say, however, this is the interesting thing. The increasingly active role that fathers are now playing, now I'd like to leave that as a question, is that true or not, but let's let's go with it. The increasingly active role that fathers are now playing in raising their children puts them at risk of being of, of entrenched matriarchy. How do the four beans cope when doctors, professionals or playgroups dismiss, ignore or diminish them when the conversation and setting is typically geared to mothers? What do you reckon? It's interesting. Have, have, can I just open by saying, have you? Has everybody found that a lot lately? I certainly, or? I certainly have. I don't know about you guys. I um, I, I can't, I can't really say so for professionals. When I think of all our professionals, they've been pretty neutral, mostly women. I said. Um, but in playgroups, yeah, I think definitely, I think, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if the question is how do you cope, the answer is probably not healthily, um, uh, not in a an out there way, but just kind of in a suck it up and swallow it and hold your tongue kind of way. So so yeah. if that's not healthy, what would be healthy? What, how do you mean? <laughs> um, oh, I, you know what? I, I actually don't know. I don't, okay. I don't know if I have that's a right. picture of what would be healthy. It's really just... Um, I don't know. I find it. I find those situations. I, I, for context, I'm Ivy's primary caregiver, and I and she's home educated, so I'm with her all the time, like forty hours a week minimum. So I go to all 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 the groups, and I am the only man most of the time, like ninety nine percent of the time, unless one of the mothers at these other groups is kind of being relieved from duty by her husband who has a day off from work. Um, so, you know, I, I, I feel it a lot. Like it, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's something that's there all the time that it's, uh, I don't know. It's, um, 
from my in my experience it's it's more about um that there that that other parents there are kind of very open to talking about their husbands or, or, or men in a very general sense without necessarily awareness that I'm <laughs> they're, not, they're not unaware that I'm there, yes, yes. but I'm not in that category for them, I think, in that conversation. And it's really, um, in one sense, that's quite inclusive because um, I'm one of the team, I guess. But in another sense, you're one of the like, one of the girls. Yeah, you're one yeah, of the mums. Yeah, but I, it never fails to kind of strike me that, like, oh, uh, you're not talking about me, or you are. You know, and I feel very on the outer of them. That's when I hold my tongue. Yeah. Yeah, I've definitely found that situation too, where where the kind where I've had to sort of point out and go, uh, "Hello, I'm, you know, I'm I'm here, you know, that's uh, just like one of the girls kind of thing." So, but you know, that's then I try to work out if I'm finding that a compliment that they're so openly sort of, you know, talking about that in front of me, and and I suppose I take it. I take it that way that it's it's more of a compliment and they're comfortable with me being around. But I definitely notice on I, I, when I do manage because it's a bit difficult because I um, so I am out work most of the time. But um, you know the last Napa intensive I did manage to do most of the three weeks, which was you know which was great for me to to be able to do that. Um, but noticing that there are very few men, you know, still in that sort of space and you know i think probably only once or twice um there might have been a dad came in so you know the the mothers still are would have to be the primary kind of you know sort of uh carer in a lot of these situations so but i found i found it quite welcoming as well that they were also very appreciative that some of the dads were coming along um so there was different aspects as well where i think um, you know, being one of the dads coming along that actually, you know, they were very appreciative that um, that I was there. So that quite worked out quite well too. Yeah, I think um, in our situation, um, if we're going to look at it specifically, I think it, I was always I was always happy for Tara to take the lead on anything Willow based around that. Um, I do work long hours in construction and it sort of made sense that she was the the full-time carer back when she was younger while she wasn't working um, to just take the lead on that and take it to all the therapies and things. Um, but at the same time, I guess I was, I was at a point there where mentally I was struggling and I wasn't diagnosed or anything. So she was actually alleviating the stress off me that she knew I felt. So, I mean... Fast forward now to a few years down the track where I've got all that, um, you know, under control and I'm a lot more interested in going to those um, sessions where I can or, or making the effort to take a bit of time off work to try and attend um, those those sessions or appointments. Uh, in saying that, though, it's interesting at the moment because Westmead children still haven't um, pulled back from the COVID restrictions and they're not actually letting two parents take yeah. children to specialist appointments. Mm. So the last two she's had, I've gone down purely to help Tara and Willow get there, driving through the traffic and things, but then I've had to sit outside 
um, for for a few hours and wait while she's in there with the specialists. So I think there's there's sort of a side to the professional side of it in these hospitals now that they need to start realizing that you know parents want to go with their children and they should be trying to give the parents every opportunity for both of them to attend. Mm. Um, you know, and, and I always made a point before that, even even when I wasn't doing, I to always go to those Westmead ones because they're so important. Um, they're with the specialists. They're every six months or yearly, whatever you can get in. They're so hard to get in. You wait so long. So now I think it's, um, you know, it's they're sort of restricting the chance for both parents and dads in particular um, to, to go to those appointments now, which is really disappointing. And hopefully they, they turn that around pretty soon, given where COVID's really at. It's, mm. I don't think it's a, it's a, a reasonable restriction now to be putting on. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's that's for sure. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the, the premise of the question is probably partly right. It, it is true that men are seeing themselves as dads differently than they may have in the previous generation and are more engaged, more hands-on. There's certainly more, more dads getting involved and expected to get involved than they did and want to get involved. So that's true. You can't deny the fact, though, that it's still true that 9% of parents who are primary carers for a, children, for a child with a disability, however, are men. And it's not surprising that we find ourselves, you know, the shag on the rock because we are the only bloke there. And uh, this was all, this was always true for me too. And I did find from time to time professionals, I did find there was a sense of embarrassment or uncertainty about me uh, showing up for an appointment or being there. Um, of course, I won them over eventually, you know, but <laughs> it took a while. And I, I think there was an assumption that, um, and look, it goes both ways. I, I Look, I bumped into a... We were at the emergency not long ago when Christopher had an incident with uh, his diabetes and his support worker was struggling to deal with it. So I, they called me into the hospital and I was talking to this, this this lady came up and she said, now let's see about whether, what's going on here. And I said, we, don't, we haven't heard from the doctor yet. Now, I was not assuming that she was not the doctor because she was a woman, right? That's true. It's, I swear, <laughs> had a, heart to go, a hand on my heart that I was just – I didn't know whether she was a doctor, so I said that. Now, her, I could see the tumblers clicking in her in her head. She thought, right, you're assuming because I'm a woman I'm not the doctor, right? And anyway, so there's those moments too, and it, it is true that I've had to learn that. So I know it goes both ways, and, you know, you assume certain things about each other. But um, whether or not we are, in, you know, equally represented in these in these occasions is certainly clear we are not. And I don't blame anyone for suddenly having to deal with a dad when they – you know that that's not something that they are expecting, so it's not a criticism. But I have felt distinctly awkward and distinctly odd sometimes. Sometimes, as though, as you guys have said, sometimes I've been so welcomed, and it's been so lovely to be in the company of these gorgeous. I don't necessarily mean physically, but gorgeous people, these mums, you know, and 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 uh, be and be just welcomed in. I, I was part of a group for many years, and and Mandy was also in the same group. It was a, a closed private group on Facebook for parents of children with disabilities. And there were about 100 in the group, and I was the only dad. Hmm. Um, and, in fact, the group was called Mums. Well, I can't give you the full name of the group, but Mums, and then it was changed to parents because I happened to show up. Hmm. And um, they was just, look, we had such a good time, and I, I did find that really welcoming. And I think that the intent of the question was, do we feel as though we've been kind of you know, um, dismissed or ignored or diminished by professionals because we're dads. 
Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it's because if we're not front and centre, um, I think where it's it's just assumed that we may not be around. Um, if if the the mum is taking the child to ninety nine or ninety five or ninety percent of all the specialist mm-hmm. appointments and the therapies, I think it's just then assumed that there may or may possibly isn't a dad on the scene. You know, he may be working. He may be a great dad, but he just has to be at work, yeah, exactly. you know, 50 hours a week. But mm. it's just assumed then, oh, this 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 uh, mum looks like another mum doing it all by herself, which I think it's um, – look, hopefully that's starting to change a bit, but I think that's just the way it's been for a long time and and um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it's a bit of a shift in thinking around that. And it's a great point, Kirk, because it's not a criticism if the dad isn't there. It's not. We're not saying the dads have to be able to be there because often they can't even if they wanted to. The, you know, there's – there's a need and the reality for that family is that uh, the dad is the one who has the, the best chance of bringing in the income. It does, that's not always true, but often it is true. And it doesn't mean that he's not hands-on when he gets home. You know, So I think we're not trying to criticise men for not being at these appointments mm. at all. Mm. Uh, that is just not possible for no, some dads. I think, he's, I think he summed it up perfectly there, Kurt. It's really good there. It's pretty much spot on. Yep. There's also a, a, I mean, in, in those contexts, I feel like a pressure, a real pressure to perform or to demonstrate, like, oh, that yeah. I'm genuine, that I know. Like, I have to, yeah. often, until you actually are, like, talking and using the language and giving yeah. some proof that you're on top of it, only then do you get sort of treated like an adult, in a way, rather than a babysitter, mm. <laughs> uh, which like, is just, absolutely. Oh, that's a huge art for someone mm. who has is looking after this kid like all day and has just, you know, obviously had to like rejig things to make appointments. Like just the effort of getting there and fronting up and organizing or for us, like organizing interpreters and all that, dealing with it. It's it's uh, it, it, it's like there's this extra thing you have to do to, to be put on this equal footing. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and in my experience, I've felt the same that, Whenever we do go to special appointments, Tara will always do 90% of the talking um, and that's because she's around for 90% of the therapies and, and, and the home yeah. care and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, for yeah. me, it's like, well, Tara's the expert on this, so I'm going to let her talk to the um, expert on it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm going to sit back and if there's something she can't remember, I will then chime in, but I'm very much sitting next to her, but I may as well be sitting three feet behind her because she's leading the conversation and that's how it should be. And it's, she's not leading it because I don't care. She's leading it because I know she's the best position to lead yeah. that conversation mm. with the specialist. Mm. So uh, I think there's there's probably something in that where, you know, maybe speaking to specialists and people here, but they may think, oh, yeah, he's another mum that knows everything. And the dad's just sitting there just nodding his head. Mm. Um, and maybe they don't think like that, but I think there's a lot of situations where, that dynamic would make it look like, oh, this dad's just sitting here. <laughs> he doesn't know, know what's going on. Yeah. And look, I'll put my hand up. A lot of the things Tara says, I'm like, shit, you know, you have a lot of information. I wouldn't be able to take Willow to an appointment by myself because I know I would forget or yeah, yeah. miss a lot of vital things that that specialist needs to know. So I just sit there and go, babe, you, you lead this. You've got this. So, mm. yeah, yeah, we're having the same, especially with the NDIS as well because Claire pretty much does does the whole program and does, you know, does all the everything on the NDIS sort of front and, you know, I'm just completely lost. Like I think I had to answer a few questions once and I was just completely lost and it's because Claire, you know, it's pretty much what Claire's, you know, sort of grabbed from the initial go and has run with it and has taken charge of it. 
I, I will say, though, to Daniel's point that it doesn't take long. If you, if you do know your child and you do know the answers to what's being asked, it only takes a few sentences and the professional will click in. Oh, rightio, you do know what's going on here. I can talk to you as if you are the carer. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. right. It probably is a little bit of a, a hump to get over at first, but I, I found it doesn't take long. To, you don't have to fight your way, you know, in. So, but look, let, let's move on because we've got some great stuff still coming. Unless you wanted to say one more thing about that, uh, we're going to move on, I think. All good? All good. Okay. So, now this question came from Georgie um, and she didn't mind if we mentioned her name. So, thank you, Georgie. Great question. A focus on mental health has always been lacking, but especially for men. Have you all always been one to focus on your mental health? If not, what changed for you that made you want to make this a priority in your life? And how do you make it so that your children know that taking care of their mental health is important so they will do so without shame as they get older? Oh, my God, what a great question. That's huge, hey? (laughs) Is that what we're feeling as in this sort of stunned silence? That's a massive question. <laughs> That's right. Um, like, I'm not sure. Well, I even well let's have keep any it. Let's keep thing. it personal. So the personal aspect of it was: Have you always paid attention to your mental health, or and if not, what changed? I guess we can talk about what our personal experience is. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Uh, no, and I had a breakdown. <laughs> like, no, and I had a breakdown. Like, it's. Uh, I guess that's the thing that you're, that you're getting at with the, the first bit of the question about yeah. about men and mental health in general is like, no, you don't take care of it until you can't not take care of it. Mm. Like, uh, I mean, I learned that the hard way. Mm. Yeah, I'd say no I as well. Yeah, I'd definitely say no as well and really struggling to deal with my own sort of, yeah, mental health as well when it becomes a problem and not really knowing what what my strategy should be to overcome it and then I end up just sort of bottling it in and, you know, I'm surprised I haven't, I, I may have had some breakdowns, I don't know, but I, I, 
I think I'm probably on the verge sometimes of almost having that breakdown as well and, you know, looking for what's my cry for help, you know, and, you know, yeah, I don't know what my strategies are to sort of deal with it. Daniel, are you comfortable to tell us what you mean by breakdown or, or what, how that, what, what that was? Um, don't have I to. mean, it, it's, I, I don't know, maybe it's, maybe that word makes it sound more sudden than it was. I guess in retrospect, it was sudden. You're talking about something over a period of months, but I guess it began. So, so again, for context, like Ivy, we had a disability diagnosis, various disability diagnoses. This also involved for us a loss of a home and a career and careers. So we had to completely change, like move and like completely start again, really. Um, and uh, I mean, what it what it involved, like when I knew there was something really wrong, was just like not being able to move. Like it was like physically being stuck inside your own body when it when it's like lying down or sitting down like literally that like I felt I remember talking to my first therapist and just saying I feel like my real kind of body is inside this one and it's like trying to get up and it's trying to move and it keeps like oh you're inside like a stumo suit you know and you keep banging your hand against the top of it and you just can't make the thing move like that mm. like that that's what it was and it was for hours like it would just lie there and just could not, could not move, like physically could not move. It was almost like paralysis. Um, I mean, that, and that was kind of how it was at its worst. And that started, I guess, one, I think it was like a November, and then like really reached a very intense peak around the following June or July. So it did go on over over a long time, you know, in kind of um, I mean, and that's, I guess that's what I mean by, by like a breakdown, literally just stopped. Yeah, just yeah. everything yeah. stopped. And the other thing, actually, that, that I associate with that time or I remember is just this, this terrifying thing of not being able to imagine a future yeah. beyond, I'm, I mean, I'm talking hours. Like, I would wake up in the morning and I could not think of, like, there was no tomorrow. There wasn't wow. even, like, an evening for dinner. Like, I couldn't think ahead that far. I couldn't see myself, like in the world at that point at like 5 p.m that day it was like could think maybe till 11 o'clock in the morning and that was it and then when i got to 11 o'clock i could think maybe until two and it was just like beyond that there just wasn't anything there just that time in the future just didn't exist for me. I, I, i'd like to that's a really have, hard thing to describe oh <laughs> uh, no mate you did well that's that's brilliant i i'd like kirk to sort of pick this up in a minute because he has both his own personal uh, perspective, but also um, ha can t can talk to us about mental health first aid. So I'll just, if it's all right with you, Kirk, I'll just share my experience, and then I'll hand over to you to take it from there. Um, I, I said earlier, and I mean I mean this, Christopher and Catherine are the best thing that has ever happened to me. So I that's the context in which I say that I did at one point literally wonder whether I was suicidal. Um, because I could not picture a future where I could see my son being free to go and become an adult and make his way in the world, and I couldn't figure out what I, 
I just, I just, I just couldn't see the future, and I could not see a way around that, or what I could possibly do to fix that or to to deal with that. And um, I was not very wise about some of the decisions I made, so I got myself in a deep hole, and I, you know, dug myself out eventually with some great help. But to me, no, I hadn't thought of mental health before that at all, and. Uh, I found myself in a position where I was totally stripped of any sense of, <laughs> you know, power or, or um, uh, uh, will or energy. I just uh, wanted it to stop and uh, I didn't want to die. I just mm. wanted it to stop and I couldn't see a way through it. And it all came to a, to a head at one point, and uh, here we are. It's okay, but good question because for me that was certainly a, an issue at the time. My my doctor and my counsellor never used the term depression with me. They said, "You are not depressed. This is exhaustion. You are you have you are you've run out of petrol, and you're drawing on." They they drew a great analogy for for me. My counsellor said, "Living with." The constant demands of disability can be in some ways considered the same as living with an emergency every day. What it calls from you are the same things that are called out of you in an emergency. And your body responds with short-term practical ways of dealing with an emergency on the understanding that it's not going to go on forever. <laughs> you know, And after a time, you no longer have the resources to continue. So it really is likely to be something that every one of us as a parent may face, but probably every one of us as a parent of a child with a disability will face at some point. Kirk, why don't you take it for a little while? Yeah, sure. And I think uh, if I go back to the question, I think the question was, have you always had a focus on your mental health or something along those lines? And I think when I look back on it, I've always been mindful of my mental health, my mental health, and I knew when I was struggling, but the problem was I never did anything about it. Um, and that's the regret that I have is because I let myself go for five years each year thinking, yeah, it's starting to take a bit of a toll. I should probably speak to someone next year. I should probably speak to someone next year. This is going to start to get to me. And, you know, it got to a point where inevitably it did end. Like Daniel, I had a breakdown myself. You know, I couldn't see the future past the decision I made that this life isn't working for me. And I've just got to cut my losses now and start a new life and be a great co-parent as best I can. Um, now, two years down the track after having the medication and the help, I look back and think, oh, what a dickhead that I waited all through those five years. As I knew each year I was getting worse and worse, the snowball was rolling down that hill, getting bigger, and I did nothing about it. So, And that's something I've got to live with for my life now. I, need, I have to live with the fact that I wasted five years of missing those happy moments with my kids, and it, it wasn't just Willow. You know, I had two other kids as well who were making memories that I, I sort of blocked out even though I was there. Um, so I guess, yes, I've always known that my mental health was, was, was there and it was struggling, but unfortunately I never took any action on it until it was at a point where yeah, I couldn't not take action. I think it's a really interesting point where both um, Daniel and Gary, you mentioned that um, it got to a point where you couldn't see the future or you weren't suicidal as such, but you just you couldn't see how it could get any better. And, and I think I was in the same place too. And this is something that I've only told a couple of people that I, I definitely wasn't suicidal, but I, you know, I traveled to work and sometimes I, I felt so exhausted. 
I thought if a car comes the other way and hits my car and puts me in hospital for a, a week, two weeks, three weeks, maybe then I'll be able to get some rest and I'll, I'll get that time. There'll be a reason why I can lay down for a few weeks and get rest um, without actually having to say, hey, I'm exhausted. I need someone to help me here. It did that job for me. So definitely didn't want to end it and not be around, but I, I, I was looking for something to help me out without actually taking help myself. Um and I guess that stemmed into, you know, the, the the mental health training, which or mental health first aid training, which I was lucky enough to be able to do through work as part of the wellbeing committee that that I chair. Um, and and one of the main things we learned on that was, I guess, about how to deal with someone when they are in crisis. So we weren't we weren't trained, um, you know, we weren't accredited to be, uh, you know, a psychologist or anything like that. But it was just. Two two day course, factual based stuff about if somebody's in a crisis and they have this diagnosis, say depression or in psychosis or something like that, this is the approach you take to do it. Um, and it was it was really um, it was really informative. It was really good. Pretty heavy stuff. Two days of just listening to different um, conditions and how you you sort of tread around those. Um, but you know, it, and it was it was triggering too. You know, you, you especially the depression part. You know, when we got to depression. The amount of things that they said in that, that if I wish I knew that couple of hours of information a few years ago, then I know I would have went, shit, I am depressed. I, I need to go and get help on this because, that you, you know, there's 10 or 15 items which point to having a diagnosis of depression. And I think out of like 10 of them, I was nine. And I can remember being those nine. I thought, oh, I wish I knew that. So, um, yeah, that was awesome. And I think one of the, the main things we learned in that was that, um, the right way to talk to someone when they are in crisis, you know, don't give them leading questions. Don't go or or don't make them feel silly. You know, don't say, oh, you're not thinking about doing something stupid, are you? You know, don't lead them in to then think, oh, what is the way I'm thinking stupid? Oh, no, 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 I'm not thinking about that. I'm not being stupid. You know, you've got to ask them direct questions like, "Um, are you thinking about killing yourself? Straight up and and give them the opportunity to say yes if they are. and there's a couple of ways to do that, but um, you know, it was it was. I'd encourage anyone to go get that course. It's not very expensive. It's only sort of three hundred dollars or so, depending on who your trainer is, for a couple of days. And it is accredited, uh, an accredited course which lasts three years. But I think anyone that's been through their own mental health journey and's come out the other end would see value in it. Um, and even anyone else who knows that they've got a family member or a friend or something struggling too, it's well worth doing that as well, just to help see the signs to be able to help that person, point them in the right direction for help or, um, you know, talk to them in a way that encourages them to want to talk back to you and open up. Can, can I just you... add something? Oh, go on. Yep. Can I just add something? I, I mean, I really think that's, that's super, that's incredibly well put. And the point about being direct and specific is so vital because just listening to that and reflecting on my own experience, you know, I now wouldn't say... I wouldn't say that I was not suicidal. Like, I think I clearly was. I, um, yeah, I remember one morning where, like, um, I, I, you know, had to walk to work. It was a two-hour walk, and um, I, every day, and I got, I got fed up with it one morning. So I thought, oh, great, okay, I'll go take the train. So I went to the train station, and the train wasn't coming, and it just wasn't coming. So I, like, why? Well, where is this train? Check my phone, and someone had jumped in front of the tracks a few stations up. And my first thought was, God, that's a that's an amazing, that's a, that's a good idea. Like that, that, that sounds like that's what I need. Cause I, as you said, as you said, like, I just need to rest. Like I just need a break. I just need to, it's like, 
so and and I was there, like I was there on the edge of the platform, thinking, "Wow, this like is this is this a good thing to do?" Which is clearly like a sign of how you, you, you know, my mind wasn't working properly because the whole point is there was no train coming, like yeah. it wasn't going to be effective one way or another. Um, mm. And I was working at a school at the time, and I went, so I went to school, and then it was it was that week. It wasn't the same day, but it was the same week where we had training on suicide awareness and prevention for our students and the training involved exactly what gary was saying before like um they won't say that they want to die they will you know they will just say that they want something to stop or they want to not be here and, was, and all the all the training was put out there is they will say this they will say that and i was sitting there thinking holy shit like that's me like i would say every single thing that these suicidal students as, you know, that we're supposed to be aware of. And when I was then interacting with my colleagues, like there was no, like there was just no awareness. There was like nobody was picking up on this same thing that was like right in front of their eyes now, you know, from someone who was thinking of throwing themselves in front of a train. And it was like, unless, unless it was put to you specifically and directly, are you thinking about this? The, at least in my experience, being in that situation, your brain comes up with all sorts of ways to say, no, I'm not, I'm not this, I'm not this, even though mm. you clearly are Yeah. in retrospect. And I remember just even then, like getting the diagnosis, like with the depression and anxiety, you know, the numbers were off the chart and I was yeah. shocked by it. Like I was, I received the numbers. I'm like, wow, I can't believe this. And then I look back on it now and I just think, of course, like it's blindingly obvious, but when you are the person in that situation, you will do anything to tell yourself that it's not obvious and to try to go ahead with it. Listen, fellas, I, I, I just feel like I, just before you hop in there, Dino, because I'd love you to have, you know, we don't have to stop it. But what yeah. I would say is with Movember coming up also, Kirk, how would it be with from you if we were to able to be able to maybe do three or four specific episodes about mental health you know it doesn't have to be yeah through november would you be up for that if you could help us to draft out four ways of just you know touching on these topics over four weeks or three weeks or whatever something like that yeah man four that'd be great yep dino you've been sitting quietly there for a while yeah it's funny just well not funny but just listening to the three of you is i feel like this is actually the best therapy I've actually received for myself, even though we're supposed to, we're getting together to talk to other people things, you know, especially when you've all touched on suicide and I've never ever spoken to anyone about, you know, when I've had those kind of thoughts and it's I've always kind of dismissed them saying, Don't be stupid, you you, you can't be suicidal. It's not it's it's and like you said, I think before as well, you know, it's not necessarily to the point because you want to end your life. I think it's because you want a lot of that pain to sort of stop. And I'm thinking, oh, you just re- reminded me of the experiences where I've been in my car and, and like, you know, have said all I have to do is turn this wheel to the other side and it's, it's done and how easy it could really be. And, you know, as I said, like, I thought I was alone in those sort of thoughts and now that I've just you know, hearing it from all three of you that it's 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 pretty much you know, pretty common for all of us to be feeling like that, you know. 
I think this is the best <laughs> I've actually had just for, for myself. So I just want to say thank you to the three of you for this. Uh, we'll for we'll this, send you the uh, bill. Fifty minutes, yeah, please do, uh, please do. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but, that's, that's lovely, Dino. I, I think you're right that we we all benefit whenever we talk about this, mm-hmm. if, providing it's done in the right context. Yeah. It's 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 healing just to even hear it and to talk about it. Mm, Would yes. that be true, Kirk? You reckon is that is that right? Yeah, it, it is. And, and and personally, um, I I totally agree. Since I got the help I need, and the more people who may ask, "Oh, how are you going?" or you know, "How you has your mental health specifically?" I'm now and and I've quit drinking too. So that's a great segue into anyone that finds out I don't drink. Oh, why don't you drink for? Oh, you haven't uh, been drinking yeah. for 12 months. Oh, why'd you do that? I made a decision to stop drinking for a 12-month challenge because of my mental health. Um, and then it, depending on the person, it sort of evolves into a bit of a story of what, what happened. And every time I talk about it, it feels like therapy. You yeah. know, one, it helps me talk about my feelings, but it also helps me promote mental health awareness for guys to so that person all those people I'm speaking to. So, you know, this chat now, it's another way for me to talk about and get my feelings off my chest and what I was feeling at the time. And it's, it's just like a, a mm. therapy session each time. Yeah. It's, it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people think you don't want to talk about things, but then mm. everyone talks about it and you feel so much better about talking about it, mm. which, you know, it's, it's funny. Yeah. Yep. Listen, um, if you're listening to this, you will have heard me stay at the beginning and I'll say again at the end um, to reach out for some assistance if you find any of this is really distressing to you. We'll give, give you the phone numbers for Lifeline and uh, Beyond Blue. And, uh, you know, you've heard us say some things that are true for us and whatever's true for you, if we can't hear you right now, there's no reason why somebody can't listen. Speak about it. Talk to somebody who, who you, uh, you can trust. We, we, um, we're getting close to the hour. We've got a great long email here from Mandy. <laughs> Mandy P. Hello, Mandy. And hello, Kate. Thank you so much, ladies, for giving us the platform to do this and for trusting us, you know, <laughs> to, to not, you know, we're loose cannons, all of us, and, you know, you've, you've given us the, uh, the platform in your wonderful podcast, Two Peas in a Podcast, to have these four bean mixes. So thank you. Mandy, I, I hope you don't mind. What I'm going to do, actually, Mandy, Mandy said she was going to send us a speak pipe, and um, it came the weekend, and I, I just texted her and I said, if you're going to send us a speak pipe, we'll be recording Monday. She said, oh, um, I did send a speak pipe, but it went to the speak pipe gods. I'll try again. And then today she said, oh, I forgot about the speak pipe. So she drafted this great email, but it's quite lengthy and and it's very specific. And I really would love to talk about it in a bit of detail, but I I kind of get toey around about the one hour mark because I know that people who are listening are busy and may not have time to go 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 longer than that at any one particular time, and we've got we'll come back to it. So, Mandy, is that okay, <laughs> my good friend? Let's come back to your question in the next beans uh, four bean mix, and we'll start with that. And if there are others who have questions or comments they want to add to that as well, we'll do that. We did have an idea about something we might discuss in this episode, and we will come to that eventually because I think it'll be great. But I think in this episode, this has been really good. Um, can we just do a, go around the, and, and do a I Heard Someone Say, fellas, and um, maybe we could r- round it out at that point. Is that right? Yeah, well, I just want to start by saying that it actually was all three of you for to me for tonight, and I think it was was just talking about thoughts of suicide and what that means to all of us in different contexts and 
So I think it was a combination of all three of you tonight. And I just wanted to say, uh, you know, thank you for being open and discussing it. Uh, Gary, I actually heard you talking about your mum at 84 years of age and uh, the, the characteristics that you described to her and uh, ascribed to her and, um, you know, her, I guess her forbearance and her, her, you know, kind of generosity, I think is probably the word you used. And I just, I just thought, oh, that's, that's so lovely. It's so lovely that you, you, you know, she's that age and, and you would, you would describe her that way. And I think, oh, may we all be like your mum when we're 84 years old. Hmm. That was really beautiful. Here's to you, mum. I know you're listening. <laughs> Love you. Yeah, so uh, so probably wasn't it's something that Daniel said. It was more the fact that he, he had said he has ME. So as I understand it, that's the old term for, or the new term for the old chronic fatigue syndrome. So my dad actually went through chronic fatigue when I was about three. So he had Ross River fever, which then evolved into, into chronic mm. fatigue. So I guess the way you explained the way it felt, um, the way, you know, how you always, the way you always feel and it's hard to get up and you're fatigued and tired probably gave me a bit of um, context around how my dad did it at an age that I was too young to remember. But I know it's something that sort of sat with him for not, not the, the condition or the fatigue and it did eventually leave him, but just the memory of having that was, was so ripe in my household knowing that my dad had and went through that. So, um, yeah, well, thanks for that perspective and, and sort of information on it. Mm. Dino, I heard you, like I was beginning to wonder whether we were getting a little too too deep into something or whether we were becoming hard to listen to because of the topic and how serious and difficult it was. And then I heard you say, <laughs> you know, how, um, how much it meant to you just to listen to it. And I thought, oh, shit, yeah, okay. Maybe this is all right. Maybe this is good. And maybe somebody doesn't want to listen to this. That's fine. But if there's someone who's been listening to this who've had that same reaction, then we, you know, this is this is great. And so thank you for that. You kind of brought me back to earth a bit when you said that and gave me the perspective I needed. Um, this has been the Four Bean Mix. Daniel, Kirk, Dino and Gary. Thank you. We've been happy to be with you and we hope you've been happy to be with us. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, Gary. Thanks, 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 So, yeah, once again, please join the conversation by getting in touch with us through a speak pipe or an email, or you can find me on the Two Beans Hangout uh, on Facebook. You can DM me anytime. I'm Gary Hills. Uh, and please remember that if you have heard anything in the episode that was distressing to you and you're struggling with that a little bit right now and you can't find somebody nearby who you trust to talk to, you can always uh, make that call to Lifeline or Beyond Blue or the Men's Helpline. Um, as I said before, the numbers are in the show notes. So this is Gary Bean. Thank you so much for listening. Go gently.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.